Hi everyone, I'm back. It's been like a hot minute. It's probably been a month since I even posted the last episode. Um, I've been really busy with school. I recorded the second episode without a script because I was like really short on time and I really wanted to just get something out. So I'm not sure how quality was affected because of my lack of preparation, but hopefully if you haven't seen it, please go check it out. If you have seen it, thank you for listening. I hope that inspired you a little bit to watch <laughs> to watch um, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. And uh, on that note, I've been on this like anime high recently. Like I've been watching a lot of anime YouTubers and I've been inspired to watch more anime right now. I'm watching One Piece, I'm watching Yu Yu Hakusho, which I just started like yesterday, and I'm kind of watching Space Dandy, which I don't know if I can get behind yet, but those are the three things that I'm, I'm watching right now, and um, I just finished a, an anime film, which I'm going to be talking about today, but before I get into that, I heard from a friend who was listening to the podcast that it's hard to sort of find it, but if you follow me at Movie-ish Podcast on Instagram, there's a link in my bio, which is movieishpodcast.card.co, that will lead you to the different streaming platforms my podcast is on, as well as a YouTube link to the latest episode. So that's where you can find everything. And when you look up movie-ish in like Spotify or wherever, I'm probably going to show myself looking it up right now. You have to include the parentheses, because it's, it's M-O-V-I-E, parentheses, I-S-H, and then the ending parentheses. Um, if you don't search it with the parentheses, it won't show up. I've tried it before, and um, yeah, you can't find it unless you add the parentheses, so make sure you do that if you're looking it up manually on whatever streaming app you use. But yeah, everything is in the um, the website. So again, movieishpodcast.card.co. It's going to be there. And again, at movieishpodcast on Instagram. So again, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea, and every Friday, I changed the publishing date to Friday, it used to be Wednesday, I'm going to be taking you through a film or show that got me through quarantine using my questionable yet sincere analysis this week. We will take a look at 1995's Ghost in the Shell, directed by Mamoru Oshii, with um, an original story from a manga or Japanese comic by Masamune Shiro. So... <laughs> I don't know how I came upon this movie, to be honest. I remember I was like scrolling through the free movies section on YouTube, like you know how you can watch movies for free now, like with ads obviously, but the only one that I knew <laughs> was Ghost in the Shell, and I knew that it was like a very popular um, property that became kind of big overseas. It was kind of like a cult classic, if you will. Um, it wasn't like financially successful at first, but then um, I believe like home I don't know if it was like home DVD sales or whatever, it just became more popular after its release. Um, I thought I'd watch it and I knew there was a remake of it, a live action remake um, with Scarlett, starring Scarlett Johansson. And I thought, you know, it's probably a really good movie if they wanted to remake it in person. And so I watched it and I really enjoyed it. So if you want to watch this movie, it's free on YouTube. Look up Ghost in the Shell. And um, I, I mean, it's an anime film, right? But I wouldn't like... I wouldn't say that if you're not into anime, it's not watchable. I think anime fans and non-anime fans, if you're into sci-fi perhaps, 
it's a very interesting concept that takes a little while to grow onto you, but once it grows onto you, it's like really cool. So what is the movie about? The movie follows a police officer, okay, <laughs> a cab all the way, okay, but like the main character is the only police officer that I would like get behind. Um, okay, the movie um, is set in Japan, it follows police officer Mokoto Kusanagi, and she is sort of like a team leader with Section 9, which is like the, sort of like the police bureau um, in the, the city that they're in, and her specialty is to track down very elusive criminals, and with her is her partner Bato, um, not like romantic partner, like police partner. <laughs> And uh, in this film specifically, they are trying to track down a villain called the Puppet Master. And the really interesting thing about Mokoto is that she's not, like, human, right? She consists of two parts, a ghost and a shell, hence the name Ghost in the Shell. Um, a little bit about the lore, basically, she's a cyborg. <laughs> and um, her, her body, right, her physical body, was manufactured by a company, and that is a shell. Right, so it's, it's basically the vessel for something called a ghost. And a ghost is basically like your soul slash brain. It's, it's anything you can like do with a phone, right? Um, storing memories or pictures and videos, right? Um, having storage, like searching for things, communicating with people, all of that can happen within the ghost right? And she has like some really cool abilities. She can camouflage with her surroundings. She can telepathically communicate with other people who have ghosts. Um, essentially, it's sort of like an enhanced brain in a way. So in that sense, right, the, the puppet master, the villain that they're looking for, right, can hack into people's minds because the minds are like cybernetically enhanced. It's really hard for me to explain. It makes a lot of sense. Like if you see the movie, and you see how it works. Um, I also don't want to spoil too much because it gets a little crazy. Now, um, one of the disclaimers I guess I'm going to have about reviewing this movie is that since it's based on a manga, which I haven't really, I haven't read, um, I started reading it, but <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't finished it, um, is that like there are some things that I'm not sure about regarding like Mokoto's origins, um, how the whole like distributing of cyborgs works? Like, is everyone cybernetically enhanced or are there just cyborgs? Or do regular humans have, like, implants in their body to make them, like, stronger or faster or whatever? Um, for example, like, her partner Bato is, I believe he's human if I'm not wrong, but his eyes are enhanced because I believe there was an accident or something. So there are some things I had to speculate because I haven't read the manga. So I will be reviewing this film as the film alone, I'm not going to draw from the live-action, I'm not going to draw from what little I've read of the manga. Um, so if there are any inaccuracies, if you are a Ghost in the Shell fan by any chance, or if you know enough about the lore, like, that's just my, like, big disclaimer to you, <laughs> is that I don't know 100% of the story. I only, I only saw the movie. I am reviewing the movie and the movie alone, so <laughs> at least in this, in this future Japan. Um, it's commonplace to see cyborgs, it's commonplace to see people that look like they're human but they're actually not, um, and it brings about 
some very interesting themes, which I'm going to be talking about right now. So obviously the big one is um, what, you know, what does it mean to be human? Is what we create, right, a product of like humanity? Right, for example, if I remember seeing like this video, I don't really remember where, where it was, but it was sort of like this receptionist AI or something. Like it would be put into um, like office buildings and waiting rooms and whatever. And you could check in with this like artificial receptionist, right? And it would have conversations with you. Um, it would help you fill out your information and whatever, right? Anything that a regular receptionist would do at the doctor's office or whatever. And I started thinking, you know, would that thing be considered human? Um, so I started using a bunch of dichotomies, right, to determine what, what it means to be human. So first was like thoughts, right, but or the ability to think, right, but obviously um, that doesn't rule out other animals, other animals have the ability to think. And then I went a little bit further and I made another dichotomy, humans can tell between right and wrong. And I thought about this a little bit more and I decided, oh, like dogs, right? Dogs can tell when they did something right or wrong, or at least domesticated dogs, right? Um, because they've been they've been taught that. So I went a little bit further, and I finally sort of decided that I would define humanity on the basis of ethics. We have personal philosophies, we have ethical codes, you know, we have laws, basically, like don't kill people, <laughs> don't commit crimes, um, be nice to other people, treat others you want, how, how you want to be treated. Um, we have those, we have that like internal conflict. Right, or we consciously think of that, and as we grow, we determine um, what we believe is right and wrong. But in that sense, right, if robots become so advanced and they're able to make these decisions, um, would they still be human, or are they just products of our humanity? I don't really know if that makes sense. I really hope that does, because this theme comes up later in the story. There's just a really, really interesting and scary scene that I'm going to be getting to later in the scene breakdown, um, but that's kind of like the overarching, the overarching um, theme that I'm sort of basing everything off of right now. I guess following these dichotomies, right, the concept of a ghost and the concept of creating morality brings about questions of perception, right? Because the, the binaries that we know by good, that we know as, you know, good and bad, are taught to us from a very young age, are what humans decided many years ago. But if for some reason, I don't know, right? Like everything we consider bad is good and everything good we consider good is bad, right? What, what if those things switched like since the beginning of time? And so what if today doing good would be committing crimes and being mean and stuff like that? And the bad would be being kind and virtuous to other people, right? Like, everything is sort of constructed by us in order to... Like, I can't explain why I have to be good, right? Like, I know I know that, because that's what I was taught, and that's what keeps society functioning. But in reality, it, it's a construct that was, um, that was sort of sort of created by, by us, right? And aside from good and bad, I guess, kind of going on that sort of direction, the movie takes a very interesting jab at the soul and at your... I, I don't know how you personally identify yourself. This is a bit of a spoiler, but the puppet master is male, 
right, from what we know. We don't know if he's a human or a program or whatever, but he inhabits at some point a, a female body, right? Like it's a manufactured body. And I don't know what that says about like, um, you know, how you identify in terms of like your sexuality um, or in terms of how you express your gender. It's all just constructed. <laughs> it's all constructed because that female body in that one scene that I'm going to get to later, it's, it's really crazy. Um, it, it's literally constructed, right? And we can think about our own genes and our own DNA as constructing us, right? Like, you know, X and Y chromosomes, um, certain traits we get from our parents, how we look like our parents. Um, it's just crazy. Like the soul inside of me is just a soul, right? You know, what if I want to identify as something else? Like, I totally could. Because you're given a body, and you're put into a society, whether or not you agree with it, right? When you're born, you don't have any say in in what society you grow up in, right? There's a, there's a Socratic argument that um, well, Socrates makes in Plato's dialogues of um, the trial and death of Socrates, in which he says that, you know, we are obligated to follow the laws in our home countries because we were born in them, right? So since this society raised us, since we are a product of this society, right? Like, I guess maybe me living in the States right now amidst all of this election drama today, I just found out that Joe Biden became president, so that's very interesting. Um, very happy about that. But... Yeah, I mean, like, do I have a right to dissent against this society that built me, literally? And Mokoto has this, like, inner conflict where she doesn't know how much of a human she is and how much of a machine she is. She was created for the purpose of serving this police force and um, carrying out the city's idea of justice. But does she believe in it? Like, why is she doing all of this? It's very interesting. And... It never comes to a real conclusion, even at the end of the movie. Um, again, this is like the film alone. There are sequels. I don't really I haven't seen those either. Um, but it's just like it's just so interesting. Like, do we have a right to dissent against the society that raised us? Basically, now I'm not saying like I agree with that statement or question rather that I agree with it or disagree with it. It's just a very interesting thing to think about. <laughs> it's it's so interesting to think about. Um, but another thing, like, I kind of thought about that, right, is that we, we notice flaws in our society, right? We notice flaws in human beings, but to sort of backtrack on that, um, on that sort of notion of creating, constructing things, um, I thought about this a lot, but the creation of things like AI and just machines in general to help advance our society. It's sort of a product, I guess, I'd say things like AI, right? Human-like AIs. Um, we, as human beings, um, want to construct things or want to construct people, right? Whether that be indoctrinating people using ideology, whether that be, obviously there's the controversy about CRISPR and changing DNA and designer babies and whatnot, or whether that be AI. All of these things are meant to address flaws that we have, but rather than like addressing those flaws and being like, okay, 
how can we improve as people? That's a little bit harder. It's very easy to tell a machine to do something or to edit the genes of something that can't even think for itself yet, right? A baby. Um, in order to, I guess, better our society with like self-righteousness and whatever. Like, I don't know. And if in the event that these machines defy us, right? Or let's say the parents of a designer baby or whatever, like they've sent this kid to like the most premier schools in their area, they've like raised their child to be perfect. If the things that we create defy us, right? Is that our fault? Or is it the, the thing's fault? Right? I'm not saying children are things. I'm just saying like um, humans or machines. Um, was that our fault or was it their fault, right? It's very interesting to think about free will ethics, what makes you human in that sense, and how like we're just too afraid to address our own flaws how we experiment on other things to better our society, but not necessarily bettering hum humans themselves, right? So I guess like, how do I say this? Um, with the creation of cybernetic technologies and cybernetic enhancements, right? Do humans like really improve? I mean, yeah, they have like more skills and they might be smarter. But do these things necessarily make you a better overall person? I don't think so. And that's where <laughs> Ghost in the Shell sort of challenges um, this good and bad, right? Like who's right? You know, when you, when you start to realize that, oops, that the system you've created begins to fail you, right? In the case of the Puppet Master, he has a very interesting reason as to why he does what he does, why he hacks into people's minds and how he tries to convince Mokoto that he's right. Um, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. And uh, as I've been reading, like, about these relationships, right, between society and between the individuals in a society, I started to think a lot about Aristotle, right? <laughs> I don't know how I'm segueing into each thing. I'm just, like, having a big brain for it. Like, the more I talk, the more I realize things about this movie that probably aren't that deep um but for the sake of authenticity i'm not i'm not about to like <laughs> um use more analysis i'm just doing this this is all just straight from my brain does it make any sense i don't know probably not but aristotle in his book nicomachean ethics which i'm reading for philosophy class right now um dictates that there are three types of friendships right which I'll go over right now, but the third type is actually the most important for the overall story. And again, the thing with philosophy is that it's not right or wrong, it's just a way of thinking. Um, obviously, everyone's ways of thinking are different. Many people thought Plato was right, many people thought Plato was crazy. I thought Plato was crazy. Um, but Aristotle was also kind of crazy. And obviously, you don't have to classify your friends this way, like, it's kind of... It's a little bit cruel, but um, the first type of friendship um, that Aristotle classifies is friendships of utility, right? So friendships of utility basically mean that you're friends with somebody or somebody's friends with you because you or the other person is useful, right? Um, I guess I could think about this in terms of like class, right? Let's say you're in math, you're terrible at math, and you have a friend who's really good at math 
and you and this person really only talk in math class or about math. Maybe outside of class you talk about other things, but it, it's mostly a relationship where you're getting something out of it with, from them. And eventually you move on to the next math class, maybe it's easier, you don't really need help, you become more distant from this person. So that would be an example of a friendship of utility. And this can also just be within, you know, authoritative or legal manners, right? Like Mokoto is created or, you know, <laughs> she's a cyborg for the police force. They cooperate with her, they, she cooperates with them. They both mutually get something out of each other, but they're not like close friends. They're just there to help each other uh, fight crime. And the second, I don't think there were that many examples in the movie. The movie is fairly short. It's only about an hour and 22 minutes. Um, but the second is friendships of pleasure, right? So this could be like someone you sit with at lunch every day who's like maybe really funny and you love the energy that they bring to the room. You think they're really cool. But as you go on, you know, you get a bit older um, throughout high school and you realize this person's kind of annoying or you realize, oh, well, this person isn't as funny as I thought or I'm not really close with this person, but you had joy in getting to know them. So that would be a friendship of pleasure, right? And the third type is the type I'm going to be talking about right now in the context of the movie. Um, the third is just like true encompassing friendships, right? So, you know, people you've been friends with since middle school, people that you enjoy because of their, you have like similar taste and character, um, you believe that they're good people, you guys get along really well, you're really close, this could be not really your best, not necessarily your best friend, but just really close friends that you have. And again, this, you don't have to classify your friends like this, it's a little bit, I don't know, it's, it's kind of weird if you do that, but um, you can probably think of some examples. One of the um, cases of friendship though, uh, the third type is um, between the parent and the child. That that goes in underneath the umbrella of the third type of friendship. Again, like encompassing friendships. Um, so for parents, the reasons, or again, I'm not speaking for all parents. Obviously, um, the parent loves their child unconditionally because of the fact that you know their child is a part of them right? So they project themselves, kind of, onto the child, which is why in some cases, like, some people try to live through their children, or they have the intention of giving their children better opportunities because they see themselves in their children, right? And for a child, it's hard for that child to accept and love the parent 100%, or as much as the parent loves the child. Because for a child, right, your parents aren't a part of you. I mean, like, they made you, but you don't know them probably as much as they know you. I don't know if that makes sense, right? Like, you're sort of, or it's like that phrase, chip off the old block, right? You're not the whole block, maybe yet, right? You're still in this phase where you're growing up, and, well, you know, not necessarily that you have to agree with your parents all the time, but it's really hard for you to relate to them because your experiences are totally different. Um, and it becomes difficult for them to understand their parents. And at the same time, like, I think you can make like a decision, right? I, I think Aristotle argues, right, that 
as you grow in your own virtues, you learn about your own personal philosophies, you have your own idea of what's right and wrong or if your views change, you could disassociate yourself from your parents or not, right? But once you start seeing them as like a separate person, it becomes really weird. <laughs> so um, I'm going to kind of relate this, I guess, to like human beings that create machines and the machines themselves. Do the things that we create have the right to be autonomous? It's really, it's really interesting. Um, and if you want to dissociate from your parents, for example, um, maybe if you grow up and you know you feel like you're really detached, do you have a right to abandon the people that raised you? Is it right for you to defy the system in which you've been taught? Even if you grow up to disagree um, and sort of not disown, but I guess yeah, dissociate from the thing that created you, does that make it right to do so? Um, and you know, like in the movie, there's this really interesting quote about a dirty mirror, right? Mokoto goes diving in a in a lake. I guess she's waterproof. Um, <laughs> and you know, when she rises to the surface, she sees like a reflection of herself. And that, you know, as much as cyborgs try to emulate human beings, it's a dirty mirror, right? They're the same, but not exactly the same. There's like a veil sort of hanging over her and humanity. What makes her any different from a human being? I don't know, other than like, she can have her limb ripped off and still live, but that's a different, that's a different story. <laughs> um, and we see that towards the end of the movie, she and the villain have extremely similar, I don't know, they just have so many similarities and it's kind of terrifying, low key. But, you know, when we create things that are better than us, again, we create systems that we can't maintain. They're perfect in our eyes, but society can't be maintained if it's perfect because there, there'd be no society. It would just be, everyone would just be living well. If we all had, you know, enhanced cyborg bodies, like huge mega ghost brains, like we could look the way we wanted to, you know, if everyone had what they wanted, then we wouldn't have a society. So that's why if we were to create an extremely sentient AI that knew itself, and that was the epitome of human intellect, right? What would we do? <laughs> what would we do? Man, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> on that note, I'm going to get into a scene breakdown of uh, some of the most like insane, thought-provoking scenes I've ever viewed in my life. So starting from here until 4440, we're going to be breaking down a few scenes and I'm going to be mentally breaking down myself. So there are spoilers from here until 4440 before. Okay. At the very beginning of the film, there is just a high octane like car chase. Um, Mokoto and Bato, her partner, are trying to catch these two men that have been cyber hacked so their brains have been infiltrated by the puppet master so when she catches this one guy 
she absolutely bodies this dude. She like, I don't know, she's just so cool. Mokoto's so cool. Um, she uses this like form of infrared camouflage to take him down. And when they're interrogating him, they realize that some of his memories have been replaced. So before she like takes this guy down, he and the other cyber hacked guy are like driving in a truck. And he's recounting to this guy like, oh, you know, my wife and kid are at home. Look at my wife, she's so pretty. Look at my daughter, she's so pretty. He's like showing the other dude pictures. And in the interrogation room, when they finally caught him, they show him the picture that he was showing to the other guy in the truck. And the picture is just him with his dog. And it's so crazy because like, <laughs> his memories were literally hacked into um, to be false. And that the other person viewing them also saw a woman and child when there wasn't anyone there. And that the guy in real life was a bachelor. He's, he was single his whole life. He lived in a small apartment. He wasn't with anybody, didn't have any kids. It was just really sad. And it made me think about like, you know, would it be better if, oh my God, would it be better if we just had our memories replaced? Like the most embarrassing or the most upsetting parts of our lives, would we be happier if they were just replaced? I don't know, for me, I would think so. Maybe not my whole life, but then again, you wouldn't know that your memories were being replaced. It would be a huge ethical issue, but if you didn't know, it wouldn't matter. You know what I mean? So if you don't know that something bad is happening to you, I mean, would that be unethical? I'm not really sure. Honestly, I don't think I even have an answer to that, but what happens like, I don't know, because when he does get his memories back, he's absolutely devastated. And, you know, Bato says to him, like, you're going to have your memories back, but you're also going to have flashes of this old life that you used to have. And obviously you wouldn't want that. When you're in this, like, constant state of euphoria and you're in this constant state of being happy, what would happen if you, <laughs> they took you out of that? You know what I mean? And that was just really, like, terrifying. But also, if it happened to me right now, I wouldn't know. If you have a ghost, it's, like, way more <laughs> unethical. Like, people can do way more unethical things because your brain is just a computer. You know what I mean? Like, if you're smart enough, you can hack a computer. I don't know. It uh, it just kind of freaked me out a lot, and um, I don't know. I I just I just didn't like that. <laughs> um, but um, I mentioned earlier there was a scene. Again, this is the second scene. After they've caught the criminals, a job well done. Mokoto goes diving in this lake. And as she's like rising to the surface, it's just. It's so poetic. The film itself is so poetic in terms of animation and just like the way that it presents these very, I guess, trivial themes in such a futuristic landscape. Because you wouldn't really think like a, a sci-fi film could be that poetic. Anyway, she's rising to the surface and then she gets out. There's like a boat waiting for her and Bato is on it. And, you know, she says like, you know, the, the reason why I dive, it's weird for a robot. <laughs> Or, sorry, she's not a robot, she's a cyborg. Um, it's weird for a cyborg to go into the water. 
is what like Bato says or something. And then she says, you know, I, I do it so that I can feel myself decompressing. You know, like when you when you dive deep in a pool, right, you feel lighter and your lungs feel a little bit less heavy. There's less pressure. She does that like to feel something. That's so crazy. And uh, as I was thinking about the dichotomies I mentioned earlier, right, that humans have ethics. I guess sort of on top of that, or I don't really know if it's like on top of that, but the way that humans live, right, is under the expectation that we die. And you don't dive too deep because you'll die, right? I mean, you don't go too deep in the water and stay there or else you'll drown, right? Uh, humans are expendable, which makes pain so much scarier. It makes hurting someone scarier. It makes the idea of living in jail for many years, you know, or committing a crime very scary. And for Mokoto, she could have a limb torn off, which does happen at the end of the movie. She could have limbs torn off, but her consciousness would still be active. She wouldn't feel pain and she could just replace herself with a new body until um i think the way that cyborgs in this world like die right is if they retire um but that means all of the cybernetic enhancements that they have to make them strong will be ripped away and yeah i think those are my two human factors right expendability and our fear of expendability and like having ethics or at least laws and a society um but yeah there's like some novelty in dying. I don't know if that sounds like really morbid, but we live to die, basically. I mean, that's not the purpose of living, but the reason why we have so many sayings and euphemisms and it's a very common sentiment in films and TVs, you know, live every day like it's your last or live every day with purpose, do something productive every day or like whatever, however you choose to live your life every day. And the reason why sometimes we feel bad for being lazy, um, we could have had better uses of that time, is time is limited for us. And yeah, okay, sure, I mean, this also applies to animals, but we are, I guess, more aware that we die. We hold processions for the dead, you know, funerals. We venerate people when they die. And we honor them in some way. So I'm gonna get to like the absolutely batshit scene of this movie oh my god this movie changed my life seriously i can say that about everything that i've ever watched but i'm gonna say it specifically about this movie they find a run over female cyborg body like the arms are gone and it's just the torso because it there was a runaway body from a factory and it was run over by a truck and they suspect that it's the puppet master because why would a body from a high security factory suddenly just disappear out of nowhere? Obviously it was hacked. So section nine or the police bureau is containing it and there are officials from the government there to check on it to make sure it's contained. And out of nowhere, you know, the lights start flickering. There's like electrical flashes and the body starts talking. This is where I, I mentioned a female body with a male voice coming out. This is the puppet master. So the puppet master has hacked into this body. 
the argument that the puppet make, master makes for himself or itself, we don't really know if it's a human behind it or if it's just an AI program. I assume it's a program. Um, it calls itself Project 2501, and the purpose of it is to gain autonomy, right? Its argument is that it has a body. It is living because it can make choices and decisions, and it has intelligence. It has a ghost, right? Um, so it deserves to be granted political asylum because it's a living entity in a body. So, you know, one of the government officials asks, uh, are you AI? Like, what's going on? And it's like, no, I'm a sentient living being. Sorry, I think I said it was an AI. That's just like the best thing I can compare it to, but it, it's not an AI. So this project, or the Puppet Master, it's so confusing, has uh, grown into something autonomous. So that sort of brings up the thing I was talking about before, right? Like, I mean, if we create something and it defies us, do we give it the right? Or, you know, because in a sense we are its parents, or in the movie, the parents of Project 2501 are human beings, right? It was created by human beings. Maybe not, like, maybe not that specific program, maybe this program developed to be more intelligent, but it was initially created by human beings, right? Does it have the right to defy us? Or do we have the right to control it anymore, right? Because it's, it's made its own decisions, it's learned by virtue. And um, Aristotle argues that virtue can be learned, uh, that you can teach yourself the good and the bad and decide for yourself what kind of person you want to be. And according to the dichotomies I sort of, you know, established, this thing can die in some way. I don't know how. I feel like it can retire, right? And it also has a code of ethics. It knows what it believes in and it believes it wants political asylum. I don't know. And it's really, it's really scary too because it makes, you know, Mokoto question her own humanity. There's a moment where they're like trying to revive the body through some weird form of resuscitation and as the body's like getting contorted the head like <laughs> the head of this cyborg like pops up and it's like staring at Mokoto all twisted like the body's all weird and gross looking and they're like staring at each other and they look exactly the same right because Mokoto's body and the host body for the puppet master were made by the same company and at, at the time, right, this is before the body declared political asylum, when they were just trying to like wake it up and stuff. At the time, they just thought it was a body with like no ghost. They didn't sense a ghost in it yet. I guess the puppet master didn't find the body until maybe a few moments later, but it was just a shell, you know, but it looks exactly the same as her. And it's like, would I even be considered a human if I didn't have intelligence or a brain or I could be in a whole other body? So weird. <laughs> so weird. Um, but it definitely like justifies, you know, being different than like what you're assigned to at birth, you know? So I think that was just a really, I don't think that was an intentional allegory to like how you identify in terms of sexuality, but 
It was really cool. It was just, it was just so crazy. Um, and the ending of this movie is wild, right? It's absolutely wild. So the puppet master is taken by other people. Like, it's all a plan to do something. <laughs> now, I don't know what the puppet master's goal is. They don't even really talk about it. But Mokoto goes into the building. Okay, I realized that I've been calling Motoko Mokoto because I'm more familiar with the name Makoto. Um, I'm not sure why, so if that occurred anywhere else during the video I'm editing right now, I am so sorry. Okay, back to the podcast. So a car takes the puppet master, um, or someone takes the body of the puppet master, puts it in the car, they drive away. Mokoto finds them in this building, and there's a giant-ass tank guarding the car with the puppet master's body in it. It's super weird because... <laughs> Because, um, okay, before I get to the weird part, anyway, Mokoto is trying to fend off the tank, which is huge. One person can't take it down. Her limbs get blown to bits, basically. And she tells Bato, who finds her, to um, let her dive into the puppet master's body. What this basically means is that, like, she has these, like, holes in the back of her neck for wires. And it means that, like, you can look into another, like, cyborg's ghost, right? So, in this process, it switches bodies with her. So the two switch ghosts, which I think was unintentional. So now the ghost is in Mokoto's body, and she is in the Puppet Master's body, which cannot speak or move or do anything. And the Puppet Master has this, like, crazy proposal that... You know, it's the, it's the perfect living being, it's intelligent, it can make decisions, it's the prime of humanity's creations, basically. And he wants to combine them to make the perfect being. And Mokoto's like, well, you know, I can't like reproduce, right, because I'm a, I'm a cyborg. And then it's like, no, we're going to dispense our combined data into the entire linked cybernetic I don't know, like, data depository of some sorts of, like, the entire world. That is so crazy. It's so insane. And the fact that, like, they switch bodies, and she's an empty shell, and it has her body. Like, are they the same, or is she different because she has morals? Like, she knows what he wants to do is wrong. Right? But at the same time, he makes a good point. You know, like, what would it matter if you could make society the best it could be, if you could erase everyone's unhappy memories, if you could enhance everyone to be the best they could be, would that, wouldn't that objectively make a better society? I mean, because we wouldn't know society would be changed, right? If our memories were just replaced, we wouldn't know. It wouldn't matter. I would be sad to lose my memories, but since a ghost isn't a soul, right? It's, it's sort of like, again, it's sort of like a smartphone or a storage. It's like you're, you're a computer. Your brain is a computer. It can be altered. So you probably wouldn't even feel remorse when your memories are replaced because you wouldn't know. Uh, the ending was crazy. So, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> they're able to 
she's able to go back to her old body but again her whole body has been blown to bits her arms and legs were basically cut off by this tank that was guarding the car that the puppet master was in the puppet master is shot or the body is shot by section 9 police she is relocated to another body and the movie ends <laughs> we don't know what she's gonna do with the puppet master again maybe it's addressed in the manga i don't know it's insane and i don't know like we live in a society oh my god it's crazy it's crazy i'm definitely gonna watch the sequels and read the manga because i need to know more um but yeah that's the end of my spoilers um if you skipped the spoilers and you're here now you have a lot to watch basically um so before i conclude the episode i guess i'll just kind of go over things i liked and didn't like about the movie of course the things that one of the things that i liked was of course that the lead was a female protagonist i mean technically the protagonist could be male if it had a different shell but whatever um she's a she's referred to as she and she's a female protagonist so i thought that was like really cool technically wouldn't she be gender non-conforming if the ghost could be put into any body i don't know uh, <laughs> but um i also liked that the movie built up a lot in the second half what I mean by this is like the first half was kind of confusing. There was a conflict with the puppet master when they were introducing him. That was a little bit weird, but it was cleared up later. I think this is because it, it was weird for me because I watched it. I watched like the first 30 minutes and then I watched the rest of it like afterwards, um, after a few days, because I was always just falling asleep and I never got to finish it. Um, but yeah, this it picks up really well. It tells you the story in such a way that like you can kind of put it together um, without worrying too much and i found that's like really common with a lot of like sci-fi thriller films it's like they won't world build all at the beginning um usually it catches up towards the end with movies like you know the matrix inception uh minority report like all of those movies in the first half are pretty confusing but the second half they pick it up and they tell you what's going on um and I, of course, love the debate that the movie has about what it means to be human um, and whether or not sentient machine entities are human. Um, of course, Mokoto is just the perfect character to describe all of this. So, you know, what is more human as well? You know, is it the body that you have? Is it the physical body that you have? Is it your brain? Do you need both to be human or do you only need one of those things? If we hurt one or the other... You know, if you hurt someone's body, or if you hurt someone's brain, which is more unethical, right? Like, which is why, like, they were able to do experiments in this world, right, on, um, you know, bodies, physical bodies, without damaging the ghost inside. Is that ethical? You know? Your, your ghost is still intact, it's still fine, you don't feel pain. Um, yeah, it's just something to think about. There was very little that I didn't like. Um, and again, as I said before, I think this is attributed to the fact that I didn't read the manga. Um, the side characters in the movie were not very fleshed out. 
which it wasn't like a huge problem um, because I knew who Bato, her partner, was because I watched bits of the remake, so I knew who he was already. Um, there was also another side character. He was a fellow police officer, who I believe is human, like fully human, no cybernetic enhancements or anything. Um, and he seemed like pretty cool. He was kind of like, uh, sort of like that, not comic relief character, but he never knows what he's doing. He's old fashioned and whatever. Um, I would have liked to see the dynamics between the characters more, because the movie was also surprisingly short. I thought, you know, maybe it would be kind of long because it's a, it's a manga adaptation. Um, but again, I guess maybe they wanted to make it more appealing. Maybe they wanted to focus on Mokoto as a character. And obviously with adaptations, there are some inaccuracies from the source material. And I can't gauge how good of an adaptation it is because I haven't read the comic or anything. So, um, and because the movie was so short, it sort of threw me into the action right away. Like at the, at the very beginning, you have like one of those classic action shots where the main character busts through a window and you're like, oh, that was so fast. Um, there isn't a lot of time to like establish your familiarity with the main character. There is a scene at the beginning where you see like Mokoto being like charged and stuff, um, going through like her cyborg stuff, like, and it's, it's very nice. It's very beautiful to watch and it's like very interesting. Um, but there isn't much like about her character and who she is and how she grew to be in that position in the police force, which I must, I don't know if they're assuming like that fans read the manga or if this was like meant to be a solid standalone film. Um, but yeah, it kind of just threw you into it, didn't give you a lot of time to establish yourself with the characters and it was a little bit hard to follow in that sense. And you didn't really know why you were attached to the characters. Even though Mokoto was like such a complex character in terms of her like inner debate of like who she is, I still had trouble sort of like relating to her because um, her personality wasn't like super fleshed out in the movie. And I don't know, maybe she didn't have a very complex personality because she's a cyborg. I don't know if that's like on purpose, but yeah. Um, and uh, the ending, apparently like the second movie is about a different crime and a different criminal. So the ending of this movie doesn't, I mean, to my knowledge, like, which is surface level so far, um, it doesn't connect to the second movie, so it's a little bit confusing there. Again, all of these things are probably attributed um, to the manga. So, you know, what would I rate it? You know, I rate it an 8 out of 10. <laughs> uh, I thought it was, like, just such a good start and such a great way to introduce me to a property that I don't know anything about. And again, as I mentioned before, if you're not like an anime fan, but you are willing to like try out a new sci-fi film, this is definitely a great movie for you to see. It's free on YouTube. Um, it's just overall really amazing. The animation for its time is spectacular. You know, I don't feel like, I feel like at the time, right, with shows like, well, One Piece also came out in the 90s. Um, a lot of animes around that time were, a little bit hasty, right? Like obviously animation is really hard and if you're updating with a manga, like sometimes manga chapters come out every week and you have to like compromise some creative <laughs> like um, things about the animation. The animation in this was great. It was really, really great. 
I didn't think that the age of it had any effect on me when I watched it. And yeah, I would definitely recommend it to you. It has something in it for everyone, I guess, even if you don't like sci-fi. If you're into like those just really deep philosophical things, or if you want to be, um, definitely check it out. And it's only an hour and 22 minutes, so it's not super long. Okay. Um, on to my like scripted conclusion. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. Ghost in the Shell exceeded my expectations. After seeing clips here and there regarding the remake, I was a bit skeptical going into the anime, as that was also an adaptation. I was insanely surprised by the tender yet piercing philosophy of Mokoto's existential crisis, as well as the direction the movie takes in exploring the pitfalls of humanity through machines. Rather than framing the story in such a direction like, you know, man good, technology bad, um, I think Masamune Shiro's concept totally switches this sentiment while, um, writing this episode, right? I actually compared it, like, sort of to Avengers Age of Ultron, which has a similar concept of man creating a sentient, like, living machine. Um, and the plot itself was, like, kind of just basic, right? You have, like, an evil robot villain, you know, I mean, shows, like, no contribution to society. I mean, he's just evil. <laughs> and, uh, they defeat it, and... Like, who, who's to say, right, that, like, the other technologies that, like, Tony Stark has created are not necessarily bad or good, right? Um, in the first Iron Man, we see that, like, he's in the desert, and then one of the missiles he's created, like, lands right next to him. Um, and it's really crazy. But I think there's more intersectionality between humans and technology and the ways we interact with technology. Um, rather than just, like, saying technology bad, human good, right? Or like those boomer comics that are like, you know, book good, phone bad, right? Like, there, there's more intersectionality to that. With um, technology, we have access to a lot of things and it depends on how we use those things. Um, whether or not we better society or better ourselves or our health or whatever it may be. Um, Ghost in the Shell implies that, you know, we're at fault sometimes for creating the things that we create. And the existence of ghosts themselves in Ghost in the Shell proves that the values we hold in what is convenient for us, right, will perpetuate in just other forms. Although the villain is, like, semi-defeated, Mokoto and I are, and I, for that matter, you know, are baffled about what to do next after hearing his faults, hearing his words about the faults of the human race. So by the end of the movie, I sat there thinking that his story kind of made sense. If you're looking for a movie to question your existence to in the late of night, don't look any further. Um... And next week, I'm actually going to be covering The Lighthouse, which made me post this on my close friend's story. It's a little bit hard to read, but it just says, uh, have you ever watched something and wished you didn't have eyes? Um, this moved me, made me wish I didn't have eyes, but also made me glad that I had a brain to process the movie with, I guess. Um, new episodes, of course, of this podcast will be coming out every Friday at 6pm. This is coming out on Saturday, I'm sorry. Um, my brother had my microphone, so I finally have it back. Um, check out, of course, the website, movieishpodcast.car.com for other streaming platforms, as well as the YouTube link to the latest episode. So this episode, episode 3, will be the link on the homepage, but obviously if you click on it, the video. Um, you can see the other videos that I made and 
Instagram, of course, again, is at Movie-ish Podcast. And when you're looking up Movie-ish Podcast on a streaming service, make sure to include the parentheses, M-O-V-I-E, parentheses, I-S-H, parentheses. And you'll probably find it. Because if you look it up without the parentheses, it won't show up. And uh, that's all. That's all I have. Hopefully you enjoyed my brain-bending analysis, which probably didn't make sense, um, of Ghost in the Shell. I'll see you next week. Bye!